Hello and welcome. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast. Coming up, Joe Sugg tells us all about his screen acting debut from Series 4 of The Syndicate. Nikki Byrne updates us on Westlife's extra tour date at Wembley Stadium this August. Catherine Parkinson gives us giggles in her play-turned-one-off special sitting. And Adam Henson brings tales from the countryside in A Year on Adam's Farm. But before all that, here's Maria. How are things in Hastings land? It's all good, Graham. I've been jibber-jabbered. Hee-hee! Oh, that... I, you know, I saw I saw you tweeted something about that. And I was like, what is she talking about? You've been jibber-jabbered. So it's the tree is gone. It's what Island Land and Hastings, in the picture, is Irish. I get it. Uh, but your Christmas tree now is in a bin bag. Christmas tree is actually outside, waiting, uh, maybe replanting somewhere. It's doing so well, I can't kill it. Do you know what you could do, Maria? Yeah. You could repurpose it as an Easter tree. There was a whole thing in the Sunday Times last week about people uh, um, making Easter trees. I mean, they were horrible Graham, people. I've, but, uh... I've, been, I've been doing that. I've had that done for the, since I took all the you know sparkly bits off. It's been an Easter tree. I'm over the tree now. And by the way, not a needle fell. Not a needle fell when I hooked it outside, and that's very good. Oh, a pigeon update, by the way. Pigeon in my house, well, I realise why. Because there's a nest on the roof, and you can't do anything about that because they're endangered or something like that. And they're, you know. And also, it's laid some eggs. It's, it's gone to the bother, hasn't it, of building a nest, which is very beautiful. Yeah. I think we might get some text from people explaining that pigeons aren't endangered. Uh... I know, but you're not. I don't think you're allowed to do anything about them. I think you're not allowed to do anything about anything to do with nature because we've all got to coexist. But it's very, very sweet. And I think what happened was when it took off, it underestimated how high it needed to get to to the roof. And so came in my window. So now I'm going to set up a chimney cam and I'm going to do pigeon watch. That will be live streaming soon. I really need to get out more, don't I? (laughs) Well, listen. I'm talking to Joe. I'm talking to Joe Suglacier. Um, seven million people watched him put a trampoline together. So, uh, so good luck with your pigeon watch. I, 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 think, I, really, I think it might you know, do very well. This whole influencer thing, I don't get. I wish I did, but anyway, I loved your show last night. By the way, Graham, you had it was a, a lot good of one, di- wasn't it? Yeah. Difficult names. Tehar Rahim um, is so handsome when he smiles. I mean, having watched him in the Serpent, where he never cracked that face once. Um, yeah. To see him smiling and laughing was a joy. And Kush he... Jumbo is lovely, isn't she? Luminous. Luminous. No, I'm just talking over you. That's all. <laughs> no, it's just <laughs> I can slightly hear myself, that's all. And that does not sound good. I'm very excited, though, Graham, that you've got steps on next week because I go on my cross trainer. Um, I mean, I, I'm obviously a gay man. I go on my cross trainer and I listen to their new album, What the Future Holds. And I know all the words now. And it's pure unadulterated, joyous pop. And it lifts my spirits when I, you know, cross train. I really love steps. <laughs> there, I've said but it. Also, there. But also, I think it's one of the things, it's like Nicky uh, Burns on later. You know, Westlife are selling out two nights at Wembley Stadium. Not the arena, the stadium. And I think, actually, after this lockdown ends there are no guilty pleasures there's just pleasure and if you like steps you want to go see steps if you like westlife you go on to go see westlife it's just you know whatever floats your boat you I do hate that the term guilty pleasure if it's a pleasure, i know me too i hate it then just do it oh also i do have to say after my after my jab i had no side effects other than an acute appreciation of the scientists and science that was my only side effects 
uh, you know, to yes, date. Yes, me too. My side effects were so slight that I suspected I hadn't been uh, vaccinated. I thought... <laughs> <laughs> You're so paranoid. He didn't like me, that man. He didn't want to vaccinate yeah. me. He doesn't like my teleprogram. I don't have the virus, the injection. Uh, Maria, teasing. if you want to uh, find your uh, post bag and, um, you know, explain to Dolly that she's on the radio, that yeah. would be very useful. Virgin Radio. Dear Graham and Maria, I work as a literary editor, and if I do say so myself, I'm very good at my job. However, I'm now completely bored with it. During lockdown, I've been exploring career options, brackets, on top of my editing, and have been working as a life coach, which I love. My boss has been texting and emailing me that she can't wait until I go back to the office. We've worked together for over a decade and become good friends, and I know she relies on me. I really just want to quit, but I don't know how to go about it without hurting her. Advice, please. And that is from Carol in Leicester. Well, Carolyn Lester, I mean, congratulations on doing the life coaching. Presumably you've been training during the lockdown to be a life coach, although I don't really know what that entails. I would just say to you, Carolyn Lester, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. There's no rush to this. You have been doing both of your jobs, uh, editing and working as a life coach during this time. And so you can continue to do that for a little while. A, because probably you get paid quite well as a literary, no, people are going to say, no, we don't. You, you get paid regularly as a literary editor and life coaching. I don't know how, how much that is going to be in demand because, you know, people are, haven't got the money at the moment. So do both, do both. Keep working, going to the office, keep working and keep life coaching and building on that. And then be chatting face to face with your colleague who you don't want to hurt and I'm thinking maybe there's a, part, a way you can do this part-time. You can do half of your time as a, as a life coach and half as a literary editor. And, you know, once you've talked to her, you're back in the swing. I don't think there's a really, really big rush. I think this, you can do this over time. And in that way, you get her on board and you say, I love doing this, but I also love life coaching, which I did during lockdown. I think just, you know, Take your foot off the pedal momentarily and work out a kind of strategy to do this nicely. And maybe you can keep working as an editor and be life coaching along the way. I think a life coach would say that to you, Carolyn Lester. Anyway, Graham, what would you say? <laughs> Well, what I, the one thing I'd say to Carol is, you know, all this thing, oh, I don't want to hurt your boss and everything. Like, don't, oh, don't build your part. Carol, your boss Ooh. had another editor assistant 10 years ago. They left, a life went on. If you announce you're leaving, essentially you'll get a card signed by everyone in the office and maybe, uh, you know, a cake or something. But that's it. You know, life will go on. The publishing house won't shut. Your editor won't kind of, you know, tear her hair out and sob in a corridor. It'll just be like, oh, that's a shame. Off you go, Carol. Bye. It and might so just be don't... the two of them, though, Graham. They're, they are small publishing, you know. Yeah, but then there'll be, be another one. But then she'll just yeah, get another assistant. Will. You know, yeah, you will. will be replaced and someone else will do your job. And I'm sure your boss does think you do a good job. Otherwise, you wouldn't be there for so long. But, but, but equally, don't. This is work. This is work. So if you really want to leave, 
a leave. Really, nobody actually cares. The only person who cares is you. No one cares. Have you taken again, Carolyn Lester Graham? No, no. I'm just, I'm just. You know, I think that thing of thinking that somehow you. I remember this when I worked in restaurants. You know, people would try and make a big. They'd storm out in the middle of a busy lunch shift to kind of make a point. And well, everyone just still got their lunch. It was slightly busier than it was, you know. But yeah. the restaurant didn't shut. Nothing really happened, and no one actually cared. Everyone just thought you, you know, a bit of a div for dropping all your colleagues in it. But that was about it. And um, so I just think, Carol, don't don't get. It's like you think your boss is more emotionally invested in this relationship than I bet you she is. Because yeah. you know, she, she, she's at work. You're all at work and you're all doing a thing for money. So don't, yeah, don't think that she's going to be bereft. I'm sure she'd yes. be happier but because there's less friends. work, you know. They are, they are friends, so there is that, which is yeah. why I think friends need to do something face-to-face -face and over a period of time. What do you think about her decision to be a life coach? I'm I'm wondering about the regularity of the money there. Life coach is going to be well, sh shouting at me now. Well, I, I, don't, I don't think... I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I, you know, maybe she saved some money in lockdown, but I don't think you go from a standing start to being a busy full-time life coach. I imagine True. you have to build a roster of clients, you know, and I can't imagine she's done that yet. So it's quite an ambitious thing to do from a standing start. So to just quit seems foolish, I would have thought. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think try and uh, do both. But equally, if this job is making you very unhappy, no one's making you stay there. If you want out, don't blame it on your boss. Don't blame it on anything. If you want to go, you go. Don't I think kind of though Carolyn Lester might, might find it easier to build a client base, as I said, and stay in the job part-time. She may not hate it quite as much if she's only there part-time. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's too much for you. But if you're just doing a bit, it might be easier. And there's money coming in. And also, while I you're think building it's not, a it's, it's not a great sign that this early in her life coaching career, she's turning to us. <laughs> <laughs> I think I couldn't I think possibly they... comment on that. That's unfair. I, mean, I, I know we're I know, not but experts, it just, you know, but we're kind. Think life coach, life coach, heal thyself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, talking of experts, experts. Oh, go on, go on, do this. Oh, well, no, it's just that our top five bits of expert advice today uh, we'll get a free uh, Waitrose Squiggle Easter Egg. There's an orange one, a caramel one and a white chocolate one and they're Where's all mine? made with fair trade source cocoa. Well, you'll have to text in Maria but disguise your name. Be Mary. Mary from St. Leonard's. I'll be Mariah who you had earlier. M-A-R-I-H. I was thinking is that Mariah? What's going on? I'll be Mariah. I don't know what that name was. I don't know. Uh, so, yes. So, uh, chocolate eggs Sorry. are go-go. Uh, yeah, that's good, woo. isn't it, for people who text in? You're going to get so much advice, Graham, this morning. <laughs> just terrible. We'll just get terrible advice. I suggest she eats a lot of chocolate. <laughs> yeah, you'll get lots of egg puns for a start. Oh, no. Oh, by the way, you if you exactly. if there's an egg pun in your advice, you're not winning one. Okay. That's good. That's harsh, but good, Graham. You are yeah. on it. I tell you, tough but fair. And I should say before I get going here, so today, because it's expert advice, uh, we've got some lovely Waitrose Squiggle Easter eggs to give away. It's, uh, you'll, what you'll do is you'll get a gift from Waitrose that enables you to go into the store and uh, get your egg. They come in orange squiggle, caramel squiggle or white chocolate squiggle. And my innovation, which I didn't want to announce on air because I felt uh, you know, that that's above my pay grade, 
uh, but I've, it's been approved, it's been approved, and both uh, Carolyn Lester and Leanne and Kent will also get uh, uh, an Easter egg. So that'll cheer them up, won't it? Yeah, it will. Okay, Victoria from Zappanon Avon. Oh, a regular, a regular correspondent. Think of this as your first job as a life coach. How would you coach a client if they came to you with this scenario? I did think that. I just thought, you know, it's not great product placement if you're just asking me and Maria. Maria's right. Do both. That's how I transitioned my career and it worked perfectly. Haley and Darlington, I was thinking if you left your work colleagues, might miss you, but they'd replace you. Your job would still get done. Also, don't stay somewhere for the people. What happens if your boss moves on and you're stuck in the job? I mean, that is so true, isn't it? You don't leave because of it. And then that person leaves and you're, oh, that's, that's gone. Um, Alex in London, bosses are weird. I had one years ago. I had one years ago who turned on me for a time. Then later tried to explain that all was forgiven. The damage was done, though, and I'd accepted a better role elsewhere. Explore life coaching. You have a skill few possess. I have to say, this is Tom in London. I have to say, I'm a little concerned that Carol wants to give up work for life coaching, but doesn't need to be able to make decisions in her own life. Maybe she needs some more training before taking this leap. I'm giving Tom an egg. I'm giving Tom an egg. There. The first of our eggs has been given away. Uh, Sam from Cheshire. You're totally overthinking the job thing. People get new jobs all the time. Just get on with it. Uh, Kate and Martuk. I agree with Maria. Well, they're not getting a name. Uh, following her as an editor, I decided to become a life coach and loved it initially. But it's very hard to make a decent living. And you're constantly touting for new business. The occasional motivated client is a joy. But most aren't nice. Now an artist and much happier. How about another job within the literary world? An Agent, perhaps. Um, I'm tempted, actually, to give them. I don't. I'll, I'll read on. I'll. I may give them an exit. Uh, follow your dreams and just quit. You can't stay friends. Just be a life coach and see how it goes. That's from an anonymous person. But anonymous people don't get eggs. That's 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 the one thing I've learned already today. Uh, <laughs> if, you if you don't leave a name, in no egg. Doesn't matter how good the egg spurt advice is. Uh, that's it. You're buying your own. I'm a life coach. Oh. This is Jeremy in London. I'm a life coach and I've helped many of my friends. There's a great life coaching course that I went to. It only cost me £200. Attending that course has led to me helping many of my clients, including my former painter, Andy. I say go for it. I, is that so, I think that's a joke. I think that someone's having some sort of joke. Yes, I'm going to give a second egg uh, to Kate in Martyr. Graham's Guide. A second letter, please. Yes. Dear Graham and Maria, this year has been tough for all of us, and my partner and I have really struggled with our mental health, losing our jobs and our wedding being cancelled, plus having to try to fight to get our money back. But this isn't our problem. It's about certain family members, family and friends, sorry, constantly breaking lockdown rules. I know that everyone has struggled and that people just want to do stuff that makes them happy, but the selfishness in some of the plans they make is making me really angry. It makes it worse that some of these people are frontline key workers. I can't seem to shake this anger, I feel, but I don't feel I can talk to them about it without damaging our friendship. How can I make peace with it? Please help. And that is from Leanne in Kent. Well, Leanne in Kent, I think there'll be a lot of people, you know, nodding along at the radio because... It is an anger-making situation. And I think, especially for you, because you have struggled 
during this time with your mental health, you've lost your jobs. So your anger is very near the surface. And, you know, anxiety and fear for the future and so on and fighting to get your money back for your wedding. But I just, it's a bit like, golly, it's a bit like you can't really tell people, you know, how to live their lives, bring up their children. You can't also legislate for the way they are behaving. Of course, yes, we're in lockdown. It's against the law. There are strict measures in place to keep everybody safe. Now, how people interpret that, you can't, you can't police it. You have to let it go because it's going to make you crazy. You cannot police how others are behaving. You can tut and be angry and moan to your husband but it just isn't worth it. It's a bit like asking someone, you know, who's dropped a piece of litter to pick it up. You're going to get a mouthful. The easiest thing to do is pick it up yourself and pop it in the bin. It's annoying and maddening and it shouldn't be that way, but I'm afraid it is. It just soon will be out of lockdown. June the 21st, things will return to a semblance of normality. And then, you know, let all of that go and hopefully we can all get on with our lives. Graham? Well, I just think I really feel akin with Leanne. It drives me do. insane. Yeah. But I th- the th- so the two things I've done is one, I've tried to remind myself when you're walking around and you hear kind of hoops and hollers coming from a house and thinking that does not sound like one family in there, uh, or you you see big gangs of people in the park, all you know, no social distancing and booze and everything. You have to remind yourself one, you're not the only idiot who's obeying all the rules. Most people, the vast majority of people are obeying the rules. So it's just the ones who aren't are very (laughs) visible and annoying. The other thing, Leanne in Kent, is when this is over, all the, the pleasure you will have is that you were part of the solution. You were part of making it come to an end as quickly as possible. Those people were not. And that's something they've got to kind of live with. And, you know, there is a a level of selfishness in those people. And you may think of them differently from now on. And I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, in this moment when we were, you know, all asked to do something quite difficult, they didn't. They failed. They did not to step up to the plate, a thing we don't talk about very much. But they didn't step (laughs) up to the plate. And I think you not to judge them, but they have revealed themselves in this moment. You have seen something about those people in this moment. And that won't go away. I mean, during the war, I'm sure neighbours saw people doing black market rations and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And you'd have been absolutely livid and and furious. And I think it's a similar Mm. thing now. That's a marvellous speech, Graham. I think you should be Prime Minister. That was really rather moving, what you just said there. Lovely. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. I accept no, the no, job. Uh, you accept the job. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just play. I'll just play back-to-back records for the rest because I, I really must get to Parliament. I've got a lot to do, Maria. You, there's a pandemic on, you know. <laughs> I know. I think also, Graham. Some, some people think that you know the rules are for little people, and we know who those people are, um, and, and that you know it doesn't apply to them. There's there's a sort of sense of entitlement for some that it doesn't apply for yes. them. But I think you're absolutely right, Graham, when you say. People that are following the rules are part of the solution, are what's making us able to get out of this and the vaccine, of course. But, you you know, it's just not worth falling out with people at this juncture. You will need friends 
when we open up again. And it will stay with you, but yeah. hopefully you'll be able to mend those those kind of breakages. Yeah, but, but, but all I would say to Leanne is you now know more about those family members and, and friends than you did before this. That's all I would say. And remember, uh, the top five pieces of expert advice will get a Waitrose Squiggle Easter egg. I'm not sure if you choose whether you get orange, caramel or white chocolate, but uh, one of them will rock up in your house and uh, then whoever's in your house can fight over it. And uh, yeah, Layla from Rotterdam. Oh, Rotterdam, home of Eurovision. Mm, marvellous. Uh, I feel so kin to Leanne. My brother and sister totally ignored restrictions throughout the crisis. It incensed me so much and has affected how I feel about them. I loathe comfort and have just let it go and I advise you to do the same life isn't fair uh, Lorna in Sky says try raising it indirectly by mentioning other people breaking the rules you can then reinforce the rules without actually making it about them but the trouble is if they then roll their eyes and kind of go oh who'd be stupid enough to do that uh, uh, then you are then you've made it worse uh, Leanne don't forget that people do not always follow the rules and you have to live your life to your standards and be grateful that you have standards and are helping in this pandemic. That's Christine in Newmarket. Uh, Dave in Newcastle, for lockdown, following the rules is the way to go. However, unless the actions of others could affect you directly, go and drink some milk when you see rule breakers. Drinking milk is good for your teeth, just like minding your own business. Well, hello, Dave in Newcastle. I'd like to break into your house and steal an egg. That's what I'd like to do. Um, because the, it, it does affect you directly in that everyone, you know, the more people that don't obey the rules, the worse things get, the more this hell drags on. So it it is very selfish because it's not about what you're doing to affect yourself. It is about helping other people. Sam in Wiltshire, lots of people will empathise with your frustration. It will only cost you your emotional energy without much reward. Be the good in the world and be proud of yourself for sticking to the rules and making the difference. Keep going with your values and concentrate on your future. Why? Is what I say egg. I say egg to Sam in Wiltshire. Yes, it's a, we'll send you a little waitress gift and you can go in and uh, redeem that and get yourself a squiggle egg. Leanne in Kent. You could talk it through with a life coach. I believe Carolyn Lester has availability. Sharon in Montmorency. That's very good because you're help you. you we're just, it's give, it's yeah, yin, yang, it's all there. Amy and Sue in Northamptonshire, uh, what you need to do is go on the radio and talk about your situation and casually bring it up in conversation and ask if anyone heard it because it was amazing and interesting. <laughs> Yeah, that, uh, yeah. Someone called Leanne in Kent. Uh, I, it, I mean, that's what drew my attention to it. Uh, Chris in Bourne, home of the chocolate. Uh, Graham, you are spot on. Leanne in Kent, you know you sacrificed and put the needs of the many ahead of other selfish actions. Tot a lot and drag them, Henny. Chris in Bourne. I'm going to give the second egg to Sharon in Monmouthshire, the one who linked the two bits of advice, which was cle clever. And, you know, she she wrapped it all up in a, in a bow and uh, that, that. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. He's probably best known for his YouTube channel where his videos regularly get uh, 7 million viewers. You'll also have seen him on Strictly Come Dancing. And now he's making a screen acting debut in the critically acclaimed drama The Syndicate, which returns to BBC One at 9 o'clock this Tuesday. His name is Joe Sugg and he should be on the line now. Hello, Joe. Hello, Graham. How are you? I'm <laughs> very well. Uh, so, Joe, this is exciting. How did this happen, the, the acting thing? Um, well, I think last, how many years ago was it now? I kind of don't count last year as a year. So going back to 2019, um, 
I had a role in the theatre, uh, in a theatre production called Waitress, which um, oh yes, which was my first sort of like I guess any sort of acting in general, um, being on stage singing for the first time, it was all quite daunting. Um, but then it sort of led to me really enjoying it and thinking actually I quite like to do more of this. And um, and then I had I did a a, um, a self tape for uh for Kay um and uh they called me to Leeds to do an like a follow-up audition and uh next thing you know I've I've, I've got the job and I'm, I'm in the show <laughs> wow and I'm not just in our show you're in you know people love the syndicate it's such a yes. clever idea um so each each series is kind of a some of the actors return but basically it's a new story each time so uh tell us about uh season four what what's the overall story and what part do you play in it or how much can you tell us so season four is for people that haven't seen the show it's all about like a lottery syndicate that that win the millions say they win the jackpot and it's all about their lives and usually what happens in the series as soon as they win the money uh their life doesn't quite go to plan and it's not actually as sort of glamorous as 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 it's made out to be um and uh so it, it follows a, uh, in this series, it follows people that work in a dog kennels. Um, and so they win the syndicate. Um, and I'm not too sure how much I'm actually allowed to say, but, uh, but my character. You, I, I, they have to win. They have, we have, they have oh, to win because otherwise yeah. there's no show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. But, 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 but I think we're, I think we're allowed to say, oh, there was, I did read the embargo when I was watching it. Uh, I watched episode one and right. on the BBC thing, and there was an embargo which I did read, but now I can't remember. I can't remember <laughs> what it said. But, so, they, they... Uh, but I, well, okay, we can talk. Let's talk about who uh, you play because it's a great role yeah. for you. It's a kind of a perfect, it's not, you don't kind of think, why on earth is Joe Sugg playing that part? You, we can totally believe that you are playing this character. Uh, who, who are you? I guess, yeah. I play I play a character called Sam, who's like an aspiring musician. He's in a, he's in a rock band. His his head's in the clouds a bit. He you know he's convinced that he's one gig away from landing that record deal and becoming a superstar rock star musician. Um, but he's actually dating a character called Roxy, who's played played by Taj Atwal, and um, she is one of the syndicate members that actually wins the lottery. So. Uh, so, but she's ready to sort of move on to the next stage of her life and sort of, you know, get get a flat together, start to get serious. Um, but Sam's heads are just two in the cloud. He's not. He doesn't know what he wants. He's um, he's not the best boyfriend. So, to be honest, so nothing like me actually <laughs> in real life. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, because this is an interesting thing. That relationships, kind of rocky relationships like this, what happens if one of the people wins the lottery because I went to a thing the lottery had a a big party to celebrate some anniversary and there were a few huge lottery winners there people who'd won kind of tens of millions and I remember talking to this woman and uh, she'd met her boyfriend the week before and and I just felt for her because you kind of think well you'll never know now yeah (laughs) 
Well, it's like who, whether he's with you because he won the lottery. Situation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure he does love her. Yeah. 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 Great timing. <laughs> it is. It is. And tell me this. What was it like? Because obviously, you know, uh, the, the the rest of the cast, they come from acting backgrounds. So, you know, you're working with very established actors uh, yeah. in there. Were they a little sniffy when Joe Sugg off the YouTube <laughs> arrived? Do you know what? I like with everything i always worry about that because obviously i come with the sort of youtuber tag on me so it's like that that's what they the first thing they hear is oh it's joe sug the youtuber but um but i so i sort of went into it thinking oh it, it felt like first day of secondary school um and i had quite a rough first day of secondary school because I, I got on the wrong bus and went to the wrong school so i was quite traumatized <laughs> from that but, but this um but, but no they were all absolutely <laughs> lovely they all really took me under their wing they taught me so much as well and just being around them was really inspiring it was amazing to see like the work that they do and they were just really really nice and i've made a lot of friends from yeah. it so it, it, it all turned out perfect <laughs> and uh, had strictly been helpful you know in terms of you know hitting marks and knowing how to find your light and all you know all those sorts of things or, or was the the stage show waitress was that helpful in this situation definitely it definitely helped to sort of i mean my my makeup skills have got a lot better out of this as well because obviously we filmed it during um during obviously last year during all the covid pandemic so it's um so we had to do our own makeup and learn how to do our own makeup and stuff but but going back to strictly i, I think if you had asked me four years ago if i would be sort of um being on stage singing or doing any of that the first thing i'd say is why is graham norton calling me but the second thing would be <laughs> would be uh um there was absolutely no way that I'd get on stage and sing and dance and, and, and do all this. So I think it's definitely helped my confidence. Um, definitely. Well, well done on the makeup. The guy liner beautifully applied. <laughs> yeah. uh, very, very good. Uh, question, question. Does your mother have Hello. a greenhouse? Oh, she does. Yeah. Okay. And she, do you have a sister yeah. called Zoe? Do you have a I sister do. called Zoe? Yeah. Is it her birthday tomorrow? It is indeed. Thanks for reminding me. Okay. <laughs> then your, your mother's texted in. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, yes, uh, your mother is in her greenhouse and she's waiting for, well, she was waiting for you to come on the radio and uh, she wants us to wish uh, Zoe a very happy birthday for tomorrow and she's Aww. looking forward to seeing you all again soon. There you go. Hi, mum. Yeah. Miss you too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, I've got to talk about the, the YouTube channel because it is, yeah. I mean, it's so successful. How, I'm sure you get asked this all the time, so how did it start? Um... Well, going going back, it's going back ten years now almost. But I I used to be an apprentice roof thatcher. That was my my job. That was my trade that I was learning. Um, and I my sister sort of got me into it. She started making um, YouTube videos and putting them up, and she had a blog and a vlog and all all these other things. And she sort of said, well, you know, we've been doing stuff like this ourselves with our parents' camcorder and you know doing plays in the garden and using our imagination to make make videos since we were kids so she was like you should give it a go because you sort of do that stuff anyway um and put them up on the internet and see see how you get on it's great you know you, you put these videos on the internet and you get complete strangers around the world judge you uh, i thought that sounds great so I, I gave it a go um one weekend and it just sort of took off it just sort of snowballed and it got to a point where i was still working five days a week on the roof um and I'd sort of, you know, in my spare time on the weekend, I would I would make these videos. And it, it got to a point where I think I had like 1.2 million people following my channel. But I was still working full time as a, as a roof thatcher. And I was a bit like, what, at what point do I 
sort of take it you know seriously and treat it like a I guess like a proper job because I for me I still absolutely love roof thatching and 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 uh I loved my job so I didn't it was real and YouTube was such a new thing back then we didn't know how long it was going to last but but um but it did last luckily and and uh I've uh, I've not had to get back on a roof roof since but like it is I I mean I found it fascinating because you know I I like last night I was watching it I I enjoyed watching you assemble a trampoline but <laughs> I mean that's had you know so, millions and millions of people have watched it I, whereas you know if you put Joe Sugg putting together a trampoline on on telly. <laughs> I'm not sure it would get sort of seven million views. So what is what is it about the connection between an audience and you and YouTube? In your head, what are people what are people getting out of it? It's an extraordinary thing, I think. Yeah, I mean, I guess to start with, I didn't really get it either. To be honest, I I couldn't get my head around the fact that people wanted to watch me, you know, put put content out there. But then those people, I guess, from from being a, more consistent back in the day of regularly uploading, you, these this audience sort of get to know you um, or, or you know of what you put out there, and they sort of feel like they've kind of grown up with you in a way. So I think a lot of the people that sort of watch me now are the people that uh, that have watched me for for like many years, and they just sort of feel like I don't know. It's like I guess it's like a it's an, an unusual scenario that I can't quite get my head around now, to be honest. Yeah, I guess you're like people's friend. I mean, we, you know, we yeah. see you move house. We see you, you know, you're in a relationship. It's it's all there. I guess we kind of live vicariously through you. In a way, yeah. I mean, we um, it's 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 interesting because we sort of put out videos that are roughly about ten minutes long. So you're sort of compacting an entire day into ten minutes. So there, and what's great is that the videos that we make, we have sort of complete control over. So we can sort of pick and choose the you know the best bits to sort of put out there. And make like kind of like a, a highlight package but the thing i love about it is I've, i'm sort of making these videos but they're all on youtube where when i'm in my sort of 60s 70s i can sit in my rocking chair and, and think i wonder what i was doing on this day back in 2019 or 18 or something <laughs> and because you put these these films together i know listen it's early days you've just had your first dramatic role in the syndicate but would hmm. you like to direct would you like to kind of get into sort of sort of a narrative structure and telling stories through through film um I, I i'll do one step at a time but like i mean i love i do i really enjoy like the i've really enjoyed the, the acting side of things but also I've, i really love like production and sort of knowing how these things are actually made whether whether i'd ever go into that i'd, I'd probably probably say no for now but but like I, i'm fascinated by like production and how how that all works and stuff the the village i grew up in a little village called laycock it's like 400 years old um, growing up as a kid in in a school there, uh, it was always being turned into period drama locations for things like Cranford and and Pride and Prejudice and Emma. A lot of sort of Jane Austen sort of style films were made there. Yeah. And so I kind of in a weird way grew up. Sort of it wasn't it wasn't anything out of the ordinary to walk down the village high street and think, why have you gone back to the four hundred, the eight hundreds <laughs> or whatever? It was quite unusual, but. Even from then, I was like fascinated by how they made these these things. So, I mean, it's, I, I I just find it really really interesting. Well, I'm sure whatever you turn your hand to, you will make a success of it because it is uh, what you've achieved is so admirable. It's amazing what you've done. Uh, Joe Sugg, he appears in series four of The Syndicate, which starts on BBC One this Tuesday at nine o'clock. A pleasure to talk to you, Joe, and Thanks, uh, good luck with everything.
Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care of yourself now, Joe. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. There is a band in the world, ladies and gentlemen, that have sold over 55 million records. They're the only band to have their first seven singles enter the UK chart at number one. That band's called Westlife and a member of Westlife, Nicky Byrne, should be on the line now. Hello, Nicky. Hello, Graham. Afternoon. How are you? I'm very well. Lovely to talk to you. Uh, how are you? Yeah, well, obviously doing our best in these very, very strange times. But uh, I'm currently parked uh, up the road from my house in my, in my car because I have three children. And I thought, when well, I'm going live on Virgin Radio with Graham Norton, I can't have people going, Dad, I need a cup of tea. Dad, I need boiled eggs. Dad, I just thought, OK, give me, give me five minutes while I do this live radio interview. <laughs> That's that's really sweet. You're you're stuck in your car. Um, so listen, this is amazing. I I I just glanced at the the press release and I thought, oh, they're selling another night Wembley Arena. And then I read again, no, Wembley Stadium. I mean, that's epic. So few acts can sell out Wembley Stadium, not for one night, but you now got a second night. This is uh, You can now get tickets for Sunday the 22nd of August. I mean, you guys must be over the moon. We are. It's been it's phenomenal. And, you know, you mentioned epic. It really is. I mean, we got together in 99 and we did 14 years before we split. And we were very lucky through that time that we toured in, in right across the world. But in the UK, we did we did Wembley Arena, Docklands Arena over the years, never did Wembley Stadium. I don't know if we weren't big enough to do it or what it was, but a lot of pop bands didn't really do it. I mean, laid into our career, uh, early in our career, Spice did it, but laid into our career, it was Take That, and then we saw One Direction. So on our reunion tour last year, after that went so well, guys said, well, let's go for Wembley Stadium. We went for it, you know, kind of fingers and toes crossed. You know, as you mentioned, it's such an iconic place to be, to play. Uh, whether it's sport or music, and we sold it out, and it was just amazing. And obviously, COVID changed everything, and that that show didn't happen last year, and we moved it to this year. And then the earlier part of this year, we thought, well, this ain't going to happen again. Live music is is kind of doomed at the moment, as, uh, amongst everything else. Uh, however, with the green light from June 21 from the government, and and obviously everything seems to be going brilliantly in the UK, uh, the promoters came to us and said, look. People are really ready to go out and party once, you know, once the health of the country keeps continuing as is. And would you like to do another night? So, I mean, as amazing as, as it is, you know, we, we kind of went into it. We're kind of going, oh, hopefully everything continues uh, to go well. And, and yeah, it went on sale yesterday. So it is five months away, the show. So hopefully everything going well. It'll be that second night. And I just see it, to be honest, Graham, I see it as it's the beginning of live music again, coming back for everybody. But also it's just, a night out that I think that everybody needs, including us, you know, stuck in our houses. Yeah. Uh, you can get tickets and information at livenation.co.uk. And it is that thing, isn't it? Like after 20, it, what have you, now it must be what, 22 years you've been together? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. 20, 21, 22, yeah. So, like, I, I wonder, I just think, I think things, obviously, you know, you're bigger than ever. And it seems to me that at this time, particularly a time like now, people want the familiar. They want the things they love. So I think people will, I mean, playing the hits in August in Wembley Stadium, I can't imagine what that's going to feel like. Just, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, we were, again, through the years, the songs like World of Our Own always goes down really well in a big, a big show. Fly Me Without Wings, You Raise Me Up. Uh, if I let you go, swear it again. And nostalgia, we noticed on the reunion tour, which is now two years ago, um, 
that you know the nostalgic songs went down well people bring themselves back to where they were whether it was school or college or first kisses or whatever it might have been it just brings you back to to, to a lovely time so yeah, that's that. I guess is 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 to celebrate it in one night. And I keep joking that there's going to be people at this show in Wembley who probably don't even like Westlife. They're just there for a few beers and a night out because we've been locked up for so long. Um, but they'll they'll they just follow the crowd. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but what's interesting is that like this the success is built to build to build, and now it's not just about nostalgia and, or, or memories. You've got a big new deal with Warner Music. Yeah, well, last year uh, when we came back, we, we had actually finished in 2012 and completed all of our uh, engagements contract-wise. We were free agents, basically. So we had eight years apart. We came back and we signed to Universal last year. We, we had a great record uh, called Spectrum, which was number one. We'd worked with Ed Sheeran and Steve Mack. Um, Hello, My Love was the big hit record from that. And that really made us current uh, again, which was very strange because we all were married and had children and our kids are looking at us going, yeah, they're all old songs, those, you know, those World of Rome swear again things. But all of a sudden we came back, thanks to Ed and Steve, and we had Hello My Love, which was just such a radio-friendly record and brought us back into the current world, as we said. Um, COVID again changed everything. And, you know, two years down the road now, we've come back, we signed to Warner's. And it's just exciting all over again. You know, we're getting a lot more songs back in. We've actually invested fully enough in a home studio, which has started to go around our houses. I mean, people have had to think outside the boxes, as, as we all know, during these this pandemic time. So we have a home studio that travels. Currently, it's in Shane's house in Sligo. And uh, we've started to demo <laughs> songs. And when he's finished, which will be a long time because Shane sings a lot of the songs, so it'll come around our houses. And we're actually making an album uh, remotely, which again is a first for us. But you know, we'll, we'll always when this album is done, coming out uh, at the end of the year, we'll always remember this record as a, a I don't know, a pandemic record. I guess it's not going to be. Yeah. That's not the title, by the way. But, but yes, it'll be fun. <laughs> are you doing any more solo music, or are all the solo projects put on hold now because uh, you're 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 basically you're back and and booming? Uh, none at the moment. Uh, solo projects from we all fully know. I think we were the only boy band that when we split up all released a solo album at one point. Um, but that's all on on hold for the moment. We got back and I think we see Westlife now. Somebody mentioned to me yesterday, like the Rolling Stones, <laughs> that will never retire. We'll just <laughs> always kind of do an album every three or four or five, whatever it takes, uh, and then come back and hopefully do some touring. That that is the plan. But actually, I want to have you one. One uh, vivid memory I do have was when I did Eurovision and I failed to qualify. This was in my solo a uh, couple of years. Oh, and when I came back to the hotel in Sweden, obviously head hanging low. My kids are crying. Everybody's going, oh, my God, you know, we've not qualified. The first person I remember seeing was you standing in the lobby, just looking at me going. I, and I knew you felt so sorry for me. And I just looked well, it was Thanks, Graham. <laughs> No, it was just because your kids were there. It was just, yeah. it was so brutal. Because, you know, yeah. adults, we can all put a brave face on it. But, like, kids have no filter. And they, it was just, I, oh, God, I felt for you. Uh, well, know, no you. more Eurovision for you. <laughs> <laughs> Wembley Stadium, hello. <laughs> Listen, I'm thrilled for you, Nicky, and, and the rest of you. Do give the rest of the boys my love and say hello to Louis if you see him. Uh, Westlife, Wembley, Wembley Stadium on 22nd of August. Tickets available at livenation.co.uk. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Nicky. Take care now. Thanks, you too, mate. Bye. Come on.
Coming up, Adam Henson takes us outdoors in his new book, A Year on Adam's Farm. But first, Catherine Parkinson shares more on our comedy special, Sitting. Hello, Catherine Parkinson. Hello. Hello, Graham. Uh, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. I've spent the morning tie-dyeing uh, <gasps> and it's gone really well. Tie-dyeing? Some white t-shirts. Okay. Are you hoping that tie-dye is back? <laughs> I I have been doing it with my children just to maybe uh, make it sound less mad, uh, less like I'm having some kind of crisis. But it is true. I do seem to be, I've just, I've also recently ordered a, a shell suit on the internet. So I don't know what's going on, um, but I seem to be hankering after fashions from my youth. But tie-dyeing is just a fun thing that my child's been doing at school. So I did it with them Uh and they're hanging on the line and they look great. Oh, lovely. The tie dye is the one where you just tie a knot in it. Is Batik the one yeah. where you put the wax on? Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I, that's pretty ambitious. But yeah, you literally do it with the tie dye and you just put a little elastic band wherever you want. And, and then this lovely kind of spiral of different coloured ink appears. So uh, you actually can't go wrong. Well, mask or not, people will spot Catherine Parkinson uh, very soon. Once the weather turns nice, <laughs> is that her? Yes, that's her. That's, that's the tie-dye uh. lady. Um, listen, you are, I'm so like, sort of bowled over by you because I watched Sitting last night. Um, it's just brilliant. It's just it's fabulous that it all came out of your head. Uh, did you know you could write? Had you written other things before this that I don't know about? Oh, Graham, I cannot tell you how, because you are a proper, proper writer. So I, that means a lot coming from you. And not, not many people have seen it yet. So I'm just pleased to hear that. Uh, I, um, no, I'm not, I haven't. Well, I mean, you know, people say, well, if you're a proper writer, you just have to do it. And so I always thought I wasn't because I've been quite busy with my children working and I haven't really done it. I um, I did always write rubbish poems as a child. Um, and then I wrote a lot of essays as a student. But I think um, probably, you know, we sort of, um, when you're a, a younger actor, you kind of make up stuff and you don't really call it anything as grand as improvisation. You just do sketches and stuff. And I, I did always do a bit of that. But it was only when the BBC and Avalon said, uh, came to me and said do you want to write something and I thought no way that would be too humiliating if I'm going to write something I'm going to change my name and give it into the royal court and then I thought nope this is a proper opportunity and um, then I had a little idea and then I just kind of vomited it up and <laughs> and I really enjoyed it so I sort of feel really grateful for the opportunity because I'm just about young enough to kind of start doing it as a well I mean you can start writing whenever but I feel confident to try and write for TV now with someone else. And uh, so tell us about it. So it's, it's called Sitting and it's about three different characters sitting for a portrait, all with the same artist. So uh, what what else can you tell us without kind of um, spoiling the plot? Yeah, I mean, I, I've done as an actress lots of monologues in the past and I thought it was a good place to start because a stream of consciousness is um, quite a nice, you know, just to find the voices. But then I thought as time went on, it, it would be quite satisfying if they um, were connected. But, um, and I had, I, I, I didn't want to do the talking head thing. I wanted to, there to be a, um, uh, actual reason that they were talking. And as a student, I used to sit for an artist. So, and I remember, you know, talking a lot out of nervousness and then long silences. And I thought that might be a good way to have a real time hour kind of play you know um so yeah and I also because the brief was kind of um to kind of celebrate the arts and I thought it'd be nice if we could kind of celebrate 
paintings in 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 it and uh, i don't know much about art but i really appreciate paintings and um i i got my friend the artist roxanne halls to do some paintings oh that's probably a spoiler <laughs> there's no there's no paintings there's no paintings <laughs> Oh, oh come on! The paintings are the paintings are gorgeous. You you see yeah. them at the end. I don't think that's a spoiler that we see the paintings no. at the end. They're gorgeous. They're no, really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and they look gorgeous together. The 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 colours in them just really sit well yes. together. But tell me that were you always going to be in it? No, I'm. There was a brilliant actress called Hayley Jane Standing who was in it when it was in it. I was doing Home, I'm Darling, so I always knew that I wasn't going to be able to be in it, which meant I wrote really um, personal stuff, thinking, "Great, I can't even see it, so I won't have to sit there." Um, you know, being really embarrassed about the details of my early sexual experiences, etc. But then, of course, um, I didn't expect it to have this new life. And, um, you know, I, I had a lot of work cancelled like everyone else and Hayley and, and I and other people felt it would probably, because it is very personal, be quite um, therapeutic to do it. And it was a day of filming that I really enjoyed. And um, although I was quite nervous of my own sort of opinion of... <laughs> My, my interpretation of my own writing um but uh yeah i i really enjoyed um doing it and but it is it's quite strange when you write uh, i find because you sort of it's like writing a diary and then you give it in and i i had the privilege of writing it in a vacuum thinking i'll never uh, i won't be able to see this it will be on in edinburgh and uh, yeah. And then, and then I've ended up completely exposing myself. <laughs> because obviously you're an actor, so when you're writing it, you're playing all the parts in your head. How wonderful, strange, unsettling is it to suddenly hear other voices doing it? To see, to hear other people being those people. Yeah, you know, I always thought if you write something, you must have a certain way that you've done it in your head and it must be, you know, a massive letdown to see actors do it. But actually, I didn't ever do the voices when I, I mean, the the, the male voice, Luke, is very much based on my husband uh, when we met, you know, yonks ago. And, and the female voice, uh, the younger female is sort of based on me as a younger woman, I suppose. You kind of draw, obviously, from voices near to you. But I didn't ever read it out loud. And um uh, because I think I knew I wasn't going to be doing it maybe but again that was quite liberating and I've seen lots of different actors do those parts and I've been absolutely thrilled with each interpretation so I've been uh, impressed how you know writing can be robust and, and if it's done in a slightly different way to how maybe you thought it would be done that 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 sometimes is a great thing and I haven't felt um no, it's got to be said like that at all, which I thought I, I might, I thought I might write with quite a, prescri a in a quite prescriptive way because I'm an actress, but I, sort of I didn't. Bossy, like... a bit bossy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I discovered I'm not much of a control freak at all. Uh, tell me this, Catherine, how different is it on screen? Was it always, were the monologues always broken up in the way that it is in, in the filmed version? Yeah, they were always uh, broken up. Um, there's a difference at the end. Um, there's a bit of a difference at the end. <laughs> I think what was really useful when we filmed it was that we, I didn't, we didn't worry about how static it was, which was obviously a, a, a kind of concern in the stage version because they are sitting necessarily for the painter as yeah. still, you know, still and not moving. And um, and you worry, of course, that that's not going to have a sort of certain dynamism or whatever. But um, so we were kind of um trying to liven it up in the stage version from that point of view whereas the camera does all the moving for you and the camera can kind of move like the painter's eye which i i so but there were there were other concerns that had worked really well on the stage 
were, were trickier to render in the um, filmed one. But I think it, I think it works well on on uh, being filmed, and I'm. Um, Pleased. Well, yeah. it's directed by Jeremy Heron, who has form because he did the the last version of Talking Heads, Alan Bennett's Talking Heads, didn't he on on the BBC? He did, and I did something for him called Unprecedented, which was headlong sort of response at, right at the beginning, and um, I did a sort of rant um, at my parents, and he 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 directed that, and we had to film it at home with our iPhones, which brought me out in hives the idea of it at the time, but actually was really uh, fun, and I feel quite you know like a lot of people, I feel quite technically. Um, advance now after this period um and i i did a play with him years ago called absent friends that um so i i, I just knew how well i knew what a good sense of humor he had actually that was uh, as well as everything else that you expect of a an esteemed theater director he's got a very uh, mischievous sense of humor so he he kind of did some nice cuts where you cut to the other sitters um in response to something the other one said which i think um you know the the writing lends itself to that sort of playfulness. So, yeah. Because uh, in terms of, you know, doing it without an audience, had had it, you hadn't done it to an audience before yourself, but had the had the others been in it before? Or Mark Weinman, uh, who's brilliant as Luke, had done it. Uh, Alex Jarrett, who's brilliant as Cassandra, hadn't, and 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 I hadn't. Um, and I I do think there must there's always an advantage when you've when you've um, done something on stage. You have you, you the, the the material is so become so part of you. I think it's a a real privilege if you ever get to do that, and you know you know what's funny, and you have the confidence. I think, um, but I feel like I've always I've always been one of those actors that holds like I have a kind of secret kind of laughing machine in my head anyway. <laughs> Give myself little little bouts of laughter anyway. <laughs> Leave a little pause for the laughter to die down before I pick up. So I I don't I honestly don't I don't think um <laughs> I don't. Think I, I love that idea that you're walking around <laughs> with canned laughter in your own head. <laughs> it's a type of madness. Catherine Parkinson. I mean, you're so. I mean, look at this: acting, writing, tie dyeing. I mean, you've got it all. You, you are a Renaissance I honestly, woman. That really misrepresents my life, which is mostly doing times tables alone, drinking alcohol at night. Yeah, your children looking at you go, why is she doing the times tables? We learned that ages ago. She's obsessed. Gather <laughs> <laughs> Marks, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Sitting is on BBC Four on the 7th of April at 10.30 and afterwards on the iPlayer. Uh, good luck with everything and I look forward to seeing you on screen or stage very soon. Take care, Thank Catherine. You, Bye-bye. Graham. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. This man is one of the best-known farmers in the UK. In fairness, the list of famous farmers is quite short, but this man is at the top of it. Adam Henson. Hello, Adam Henson. <laughs> Hello, Graham. Thanks for having me on the show. You're very welcome. Uh, obviously, people know you from, from Countryfile, but this book uh, is it, it's aimed at... What age are the children that the book is aimed at, do you think? Sort of four to ten-year-olds, really. Yes. Um, so young children. And it's, it's a factual bo- book. It's good fun, but it's also factual. Yeah, it's a year on Adam's Farm. It basically goes through the seasons and the work that goes on and what the various animals and crops are doing in those various seasons. And it's described as interactive, which makes you kind of think, oh, my goodness, is it? do you plug the book in? But it's interactive in the most beautiful way. It's, uh, describe the, the actual physical book to people. 
Yeah, so there's about 40 lift flaps. So you can go through the book, learn about where your food comes from, learn about the seasons. And then as you lift the flaps on the side of the combine harvester, for instance, you can see what's going on inside and learn new things as you go through. So it makes it quite fun and interactive. And Rachel Saunders, the illustrator, has got some beautiful drawings throughout the book. So it's something for kids to do or parents to do with their children. And what I really hope is that everyone enjoys it, but they also learn a little bit more about farming and where your food comes from. And I guess what's interesting, particularly in terms of the illustrations, because you're talking about various breeds of pigs and everything, they're not, you know, they have to be quite accurate. They can't just be a, a lovely drawing in a kid's book. They have to be, you know, that needs to look like that sort of pig. That's right, yeah. So there's quite a few bit of toing and froing with the drawings and, uh, and uh, you know, all the illustrations. But Rachel's done an amazing job. Yes, and on the farm here, we've got a large collection of rare farm animals and quite a few animals that we feature on Countryfile. And they've become characters in people's minds and, um, and characters here on the farm. So we featured a few of those throughout, which is great to see them in the book. And then, hello, science fiction, uh, drones are flying over Adam's farm. Do you, do, do, I mean, is that just for the book or do you really use drones? No, we really do, yes. And I really wanted it to be sort of modern day farming, you know, not just the picture of a farmer with a piece of straw in his mouth, you know, sitting on a gatepost. It's, um, it's <laughs> but a, that's you, Adam, that's it, you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, gone are the days that, you know, if you can drink cider and, you know, use a scythe, farming is for you. It's so modern and technological. We've got robots milking cows, drones flying over fields, combines using satellite navigation and onboard computers. You know, actually, to be a farmer now, you have to be of course hard working and but very technological as well and I wanted to just get that across and your farm it, it's really so your dad turned it into a sort of public attraction was it back in the 70s that's right, yeah. So my dad was very forward-thinking. He had a commercial farm, but also collected rare farm animals, those sorts of animals that were falling by the wayside and going out of fashion with modern-day production. And so things like Gloucester cattle and Cotswold sheep and Gloucestershire old spot pigs. But then in 1971, he diversified, and to pay for his expensive hobby, really, he opened the Cotswold Farm Park that I still run today with my business partner. And we get, you know, 150,000 V. People come and visit and see all our rare breeds. And we've got a campsite and new lodges and those sorts of things. And so as a child, I remember people coming to the farm and seeing all our wonderful animals and learning about food and farming. But Graham, there's still a huge void of knowledge when it comes to food production and where it comes from and people understanding what's on their plates. And I feel really passionate about that and want to try and get it across. And of course, the best people to get that through to to start off with is the children because they will then, you know, excuse the pun, have a hunger for that knowledge in the future. <laughs> and tell me, is it true that your, your children are vegetarian? Yes, yeah, so my daughter is a vegetarian, so is my partner Charlie, so she's, she's a vegetarian too. But my son Alfie and I are big meat eaters, and so we, you know, we have grown-up <laughs> sensible conversations about that at the dinner table. And, you know, and honestly, I really don't mind what people eat. Farmers should produce food to the best of their ability, and we produce some amazing food in the UK, and we should just have sensible conversations about where your food comes from. Tell me this, when people, you know, you've been, uh, obviously you've been on the farm, it's been open to public for many years. Are people uh, less connected to food production and where their pork chop or their chips come from now than they were? Or do you think people are, are more educated about where food comes from? 
I think there's quite a large divide. Um, I think there's many people, I think probably the pandemic when with food panicking going on, people were, you know, starting to worry a bit more about food and food security. But where it comes from, the seasons, you know, how it's grown, how animals are produced, I think there is a large void of knowledge. And that's partly down to the supermarkets making food just so readily available. You know, just walk in and pick it up and you don't have to spare a thought of how it was produced. And perhaps farmers have been you know, not so good at communicating about what we're doing. But with shows like Country File on air, you know, getting six million viewers. And at, in fact, today we're filming for a program called Springtime on the Farm, all about farming that's on Channel 5. There's lots of programs talking about food production, but there still seems to be this huge void of knowledge. I recently took some sheep into a school just north of Birmingham, and the kids there, probably 25% of them, secondary school, 11 to 18 year olds, had never ever seen a sheep before in real life. And it was like I'd introduced them to an alien. And so, you know, it's a real concern that today, in today's society, you know, lots of people don't know anything about where their food comes from. And of course, that's health and well-being, isn't it? What we eat, you are what you eat. Well, it's also, I think, what you were saying about how the supermarkets present it. Like when I was a kid growing up in Ireland, you know, there was dirt on the vegetables. There was a, a claw on the chicken's leg. You know, it, it, you, you were visibly reminded of where this thing came from. Yeah, absolutely. And and rightly so. You know, we should have a, you know, really good base knowledge of what we're eating. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about veganism and vegetarianism and all those sorts of things. And, and as I mentioned previously, you know, I don't mind what people eat as long as they've got a really good informed sort of base knowledge and understanding about you know what they are consuming and hopefully this book will help people think about that and you know meal times are i think for me a wonderful time at home you know when you sit down with friends and family phones off have wonderful conversations but perhaps you know start with what you're eating you know what have you got on your plate celebrate the the food that's on your plate that you're about to consume and have a think about how it was produced have there been any benefits to not having visitors to the farm over the past year. I mean, has it been quite nice just having it to yourselves? <laughs> well, you know, my lockdown and the families here and all of the you know people who work on the farm has been, you know, business as normal, particularly with, you know, we're busy lambing at the moment and um, pigs giving birth. And we've had a cow gave birth a couple of nights ago and the crops are being planted. So business as normal on the farm. But I have to say, I've really missed having the visitors. So lockdown all during Easter last year, missing Easter this year. But we do open again on the 12th of April. And I can't wait to welcome people back. You know, we get so many lovely visitors that will come and see the baby lambs and feed the goats and, you know, have a lovely time getting out into the fresh air. And I think that's what people are craving for. You know, spring is upon us. The buds are bursting out of the trees. The blossoms are about to appear and we're about to unlock. And actually <laughs> coming out into the countryside and onto the farm and to visit, you know, the farm park is, is a very you know, lovely, safe place to be. Is spring your favourite time? Because it's such a, you know, it's hope, renewal, particularly now, you know, because of the lockdown, coming out of lockdown and everything, it just seems like such a, an optimistic time of the year, doesn't it? I think it really does, yes. And you've hit the nail on the head. It's all those new beginnings, isn't it? And for a farmer, you've come through quite a long winter. A lot of the animals have been in the sheds and you're turning them out onto spring grass. You know, lambs being born and goat kids. Although it's hard work at this time of year, we're working very hard sort of day and night. Um, you know, seeing new life is very, very special. And so spring is definitely my, you know, favourite time of year. And I think, you know, particularly prevalent this year. You know, everyone's, you know, looking yeah. forward to that, that those new beginnings. 
I just have a vision on the 12th of April, the marauding hordes coming over the hill. <laughs> They're more than <laughs> <Yay>! welcome. <laughs> well, Adam Henson's beautiful new children's book, A Year on Adam's Farm, is out now. Adam Henson, you probably have to go and birth something or plant something, so I'll, I'll let you go. It's been lovely to talk to you. Take care of yourself, sir. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining me for the Graham Norton Radio Show podcast. I'm back on Virgin Radio from 9.30 on Saturday morning, and the next episode of the podcast will be out first thing the following Monday. Speak to you soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio.